morning everyone. Let me try to turn on this equipment, see if you can hear me a little better. Alright, praise the Lord. Let's go ahead and actually turn back one chapter from where we were last week. We'll start in Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25. We'll start in verse 19, Genesis 25, verse 19. This is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padamaran, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah his wife conceived. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, If all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So when her days were fulfilled, for her to give birth, indeed, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over, so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. All right, we come now to the next generation in the uh, family of the patriarchs, patriarchs, as we call them. I can't quite pronounce that right in English, but that's okay. You probably couldn't pronounce it in Hebrew, so very cool. Um, and it's good to remember as we uh, look at these people that we're doing it for a personal benefit. The theme verse we picked for this series of study is found in the book of First Corinthians, I'll just read it. It says this, Now these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonitions. So God recorded events in the lives of these people from a long time ago, so we could look at them as examples. It's wonderful the different ways that God teaches us in His Word. A lot of time it's very direct. Do this, don't do that. Other times it's by examples. You look at people and you get to see how they reacted, how they responded to things. And that becomes an example for us. What to do or at sometimes what not to do. My wife will get me later for this, for sharing this. This was when she was very young. So give her a break. Before she was saved, she was probably four years old or five years old. But, uh, and, and she'll share it as part of her testimony. You know, this is, this is my sin. She's not sharing it as a source of pride now. If anything, it's a source of embarrassment. So uh, when she was very young, uh, she, she thought that she was so good that the next time the Bible would be written, she would be in it. All right? Now, you know, most of you are laughing, boy, you know, how can a person be so proud? But what actually got me about it is it's a common mis- misconception that we have. We think that the Bible is about good people. It's not. It's about people just like us that do the same mistakes we do. So yes, we could easily be in the Bible. We would fit right in. <laughs> but, but let's learn from these people. 
learn from their mistakes, from their victories. And, and today we may see more mistakes than victories, but still hopefully we can apply it to ourselves and, and learn from their mistakes, not to do those mistakes ourselves. Okay, so we started here with Abraham. Now we're at Isaac and Jacob. There's one verse I would like to turn to. It's a good... Uh, this is the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. I'll keep talking as you turn there. It's good to sometimes get a bird's eye view of what's going on. It helps us understand because they'll do certain things. And if you don't keep in mind where these people are in the overall plan of God, it's sometimes easy to miss why certain things they do are right or wrong. And that's why we kind of step back to see the overall view of where these people are. So turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, and I'll start in verse 8. It says, There by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. I'll skip to verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desired a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. These were not just ordinary people in the sense that God had a special plan. And he started by choosing Abraham and telling Abraham, leave everything you have. Leave your homeland, your family, and go to a different place that I will show you. And that will become your land. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and you will be a blessing. And you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. There was a special promise given to that family. And Abraham, it was hard for him, but eventually he let go of everything and came to, to possess that promise that God has given him. And his, his son Isaac, to some extent, followed. We saw last week he had some problems, and we'll see Jacob has similar problems, but the, the large picture is these people have forsaken this world and have gone out to grasp for what God was handing to them. And, and in some ways it was the land that, that was there, but we can see in some sense they're really looking ahead to the land that God will give all of us, or to the city that has foundation, to that heavenly country. There's a promise that God has given us. This world is not our home. He has prepared a place for us. And we're reaching out like they reached out for that place that God has for us, God had for them. They were reaching out. That was where that family was. Okay, let's turn back and look at the passage we just read and see what we can learn from it about these people, remember, that we want to look at as examples. So the first thing we see here is we note that Rebecca is having difficulties having children. That seems to be almost a common theme to uh, the seed of the promise. There always seems to be these difficulties having children. The other thing we see is that Isaac intercedes for her. Now it's interesting to me the way it's wording. 
you see a little bit of dynamics there that lets you a little bit into an understanding of the person of Isaac and Rebecca, which actually will become more obvious later. But here you already see the foreshadowing of it. It appears because Isaac married her after when he was 40, and we see at the end of the passage we read he was 60 before the children was, were born, that there was kind of a delay there. Isaac did not immediately seek four children. I mean, he married her. He was, uh, it says he was comforted from the death of his wife, of his mother, by marrying her. But it doesn't seem like children were a major thing on the mind of Jacob. It was more, sorry, on the mind of, of Isaac. I'm going to keep confusing names here. Uh, but it seems to have been more so on Rebecca's mind. And he really he's pleading for her. It's more like she was the one who really wanted children. And he's going for her to the Lord. Which shows a little bit of the fact that Rebecca seems to be the one a little bit more on key here. Which maybe shouldn't be so surprising. Because after all... Isaac was just born into the inheritance. Rebecca was one who, similarly to Abraham, had to leave her homeland and go and seek for it. She was told about Isaac, and she left to go and be with Isaac. So we see she seems to be a little more spiritually attuned. We see this thing happening again later on when she is she, uh, had, having problems with her pregnancy. It's kind of amazing if, if you've been in that position of, of uh, being pregnant or seeing your wife pregnant and the baby is actually moving inside her stomach. In her case, she had twins and it seemed like there was an unusual amount of motions to the point that she was concerned about her children. And so she, she seeks the Lord. Again, it kind of shows that she seems to be the one that was more spiritually minded. She seeks the Lord and the Lord uh, gives her some information. He says this, Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. It's an amazing prophecy in many ways. First of all, before ultrasound, this was news. She had two. (laughs) Okay. Um, Another amazing thing here is God is saying, from these two people will come two separate nations. They're not going to be just a family that will be part of the same nation. They really will divide into two separate nations. The other thing... That, that this gives us is, if you remember the promise that God gave Abraham, he said, out of you I'm going to make a great nation, one. Only one of these two could therefore be part of that promise that God has given Abraham, because there'll be two nations out of these two. Only one nation will be that nation that God had promised Abraham would come from him. Okay? So, and that means he's the one that's going to inherit the land. He's the one that will have the promise that God has given Abraham. He will be the one that inherits it. The fourth thing, or I I wasn't quite counting, uh, amazing thing here is it says it's going to be the younger one, which is against the rule of nature. Usually, it's the older child that gets the inheritance. In this case, it actually will be the younger one that gets the inheritance. God, God is telling all these things to Rebecca. All right. One might wonder how Rebecca would think about all this, but we're going to see more of that later. We see now Isaac and Isa are born. And again, from the very beginning, you see different uh, natures or personalities of those two sons. Isa is born first. What most people notice about him is that he was very hairy. And most people today actually think about it as something that's not so good, to be so hairy. It probably wasn't meant meant uh, 
meant as a negative testimony of him. If anything, hairiness was probably a sign of manliness. Isa seemed to have been a very manly man. He was a man of the outdoors. He was a skillful hunter. So in the eyes of the world, he was probably the greater of the two, as opposed to the lesser of the two. The other thing that probably would follow from the fact that he was uh, a man of outdoors, a man of the world, is he's the one who's really going more out of from the family. We'll see in a, in a minute. Jacob was the one who actually dwelt in tents. It says about him he was a mild man, a man that dwelt in tents. He seemed to have stayed at home more or less, perhaps wasn't as manly a man of Esau, uh, not mentioned as a skillful hunter. Perhaps in the eyes of the world, he would, looked, would have appeared as the lesser of the two. But the main thing that, that captures my attention here is he was the one who dwelt in the tents and appeared to have stayed with his family. But Isa was the one who was going out there. And if you would, sampling of more of what the world has to offer. Remember, God was doing a special thing. He took people out of their homeland and he was really starting to build them up as a nation that was going to be a separate nation. And one of them is kind of staying in the middle of it, whether because he was spiritual or just because of physical limitations. The other one seems to be more going out. And we see that was, to a large extent, the, the beginning of the signs that not all was going to be well with Esau. Okay, let's read the next passage. Verse 27. So the boys grew and Esau was... Okay, I already read that. I, I must have gone ahead of myself. Did I read verse 27? All right, sorry. Uh, everything I just said connected with the verses I'm about to read, okay. <laughs> so the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man, dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Now Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with that same red stew. For I am weary. Therefore his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, Sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, Look, I am about to die. So what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, Swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So here we're seeing what I was starting to talk about. And it appears from this passage that Esau was getting more and more of a mind for what the world had to offer him. Whereas Jacob apparently did not. And we have to remember where these, these uh, sons have come from. I'm not sure if they would have known Abraham. I didn't add up the years to see if they were born before or after Abraham died. But certainly... Isaac, his father, and Rebekah, their mother, would have taught them about the promise that God has given for their family. That is why they were sojourning in Canaan. Otherwise, they'd go back to their homeland in Padanaram or, or Ur or wherever they wanted to go to. The fact they were living there was a testimony that they believed in the promises of God. And we can tell Jacob had a mind for that promise. Jacob was thinking about it. He was interested in what God promised his family. Whereas Esau, we're beginning to see, was not so interested in what God had to offer them. And uh, Jacob must have discerned it. You think about what Jacob is doing here, and he's offered this deal. You know, I'll give you this pot of lentil soup. You give me the land. 
you know, it, it seems like a crazy trade, but I think Jacob knew Esau, and he could tell, you know, Esau is just not interested in this promise that God has made for our, our forefathers. So maybe he'll give it to me. <laughs> it seems, seems from Jacob's perspective, it seems like a wise move. From Esau's perspective, uh, the conclusion is this. Uh, we've read the story. I'm sure everybody's familiar with it. Esau was, you know, hungry. He saw some good stuff that Jacob made that was literally, uh, he called it this, this red, red stew. And the name Edom basically means red in Hebrew. And he basically wanted it. Jacob made the deal. Esau said, that's fine. And they made the trade. The Bible gives this conclusion. It says, thus Esau despised his birthright. That's an interesting word, despise. Uh, it seems like a strong word. We don't usually we think of, of such a strong word applied here. But this is the definition of the word despise. If you were to look at the Webster Dictionary, we'll say to have contempt, to scorn, to disdain, to have the lowest opinion of. And Isa had a very low opinion of this promise of God. Think about what God was promising them. Even, even if you stop with the physical, the land, um, and he's trading it for, for a bowl of soup. I mean, can you think of a lower... I know, I know the United States was actually sold for a very small price. Uh, no, it was Canada. Some, some duke in, in England sold it to some other duke for a penny or something like that. But that's because the Indians were in it anyways, and he, he wasn't really his to start with. But generally speaking, the value of, of what God has promised was enormous. And Esau esteemed this bowl of soup more. And what God is saying, he was despising the promise of God. Now, it's more interesting to see what God says about it if we turn to the book of Hebrews again. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. We'll read the rest, rest of the verse later. Here it uses the word profane to describe Esau. Why are we saying he is profane? Well, let's go ahead and turn back to the Webster Dictionary. Webster Dictionary says this about the definition of profane. Irreverent to anything sacred. Applied to persons, a man is profane when he takes the name of God in vain or treats sacred things with abuse and irreverence. Usually profanity, we think about taking the word of God, the name of God, in vain. Why does God call it profanity? Well, because God considers his name holy and of great value. And when somebody just says it without assigning it such a great value, in a sense, making it a common thing or something that has little value, it's profanity because you're taking something of great value and you're claiming it has no value. That, that's profanity for God. And so what Esau was doing here, he was taking the promise that God has given his father and he was saying that's of no value. That's profanity from the eyes of God. Do you think that's happened today? Do you think people are profane? All right. What do you think is the, the greatest case or what 
the greatest uh, frequency of profanity that happens? How do people profane most frequently? Or what's the greatest type of profanity that happens? Taking Jesus' name? Well, let me propose another. Let me propose that there's another greater profanity that happens very frequently in this world. Turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews 10.29. Hebrews 10.29. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counting the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, a common thing, and insulted the spirit of grace. What is the person doing that this verse is talking about? The person is doing what we would call rejecting the gospel. God has made known to that person that God loved him so much, though he was a sinner, that he sent his own son to bear his sin, that person's sins, upon him and then to suffer and to die and suffer shame and separation from God, death, because of your sins, so that you, by receiving the good thing he has done, could not go to heaven and be with God. And when people take that and say, ah, I'm not interested, that has no value. In the sight of God, that's the greatest case of profanity that happens on the earth. You're taking the thing that has the greatest value to God, and you're saying, that's no that's of no value to me. Let's, let's read the verse again. It says, Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the spirit of grace? Trampling, that's what God looks at it like. He, he gave your son for you, and you're just... You were trampling over him. That's of no value, no concern to you. He has, through the spirit of grace, made it known to you. And you've insulted the spirit of grace by saying, no, I'm not interested. Taking the thing that for God is the highest value. And you said, oh, I'm, I'm just not interested. Thank you. I, I'd rather have this thing or that. Like Esau that said, you know, I'd rather have this bowl of soup than the promise that God has for me and has given to my family. Let's turn back to Genesis. We're now going to go forward a chapter, actually two chapters. We covered chapter 26 last week, and we'll finish up by covering chapter 27. Chapter 27, the book of Genesis, and verse 1. Now it came to pass, when Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see, that he called Esau his older son and said to him, My son. And he answered him, Here I am. Then he said, Behold now, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now therefore please take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and make me savory food such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. We come here to one of the better-known stories in the Old Testament, that of the stealing of the blessing. There was a blessing that Esau, sorry, Isaac wanted to bless Esau, and Jacob comes in, pretends to be Esau, 
Isaac blesses Jacob instead, and thus Jacob steals the blessing. And it's usually we think mainly about Jacob. Boy, what a sneak. It's interesting, as you, you look at this passage, you'll find that it wasn't just Jacob that was at fault. You could probably point, and we will, we'll point at every single individual in this family, and we'll recognize that they had a part in what happened. And we're starting with Isaac, which is proper. He is the head of the family. And he decides to bless Esau. Now, it's important to recognize that this is not just a blessing like, you know, I hope you have a wonderful life. I mean, that, that, there would be no reason to interfere in this case. But what, what Isaac was in the process of doing is basically giving Esau the authority over the family. We'll see that later on in the promise. He actually says, you know, you rule over your brethren and let your mother sound out to you. This, this family that God has separated from the nations and was to inherit the promise that God was giving them, was about to be turned over to a person who didn't want it. I mean, this was a terrible thing that was going to be done. And that's, that's to some extent why Rebecca and maybe Jacob felt compelled, compelled to intervene in the situation. So Isaac's desire to give it to Esau was the beginning of Tabor Hill. That's what really started the whole thing. Now we think, well, why is Isaac doing the whole thing? Well, the answer is that he's blind. And we read in the passage, he's blind physically, and that actually allows the whole deceit to work through. If he wasn't, he couldn't. But he's also being blind spiritually. He's not discerning. He's not discerning the spiritual state of his son. And if you think, well, why? Why not? And you read back before, and it said, well, Esau, sorry, Isaac loved Esau. Well, but why is that? Well, because he loved the meat that Esau was putting on his table. He was a skillful hunter. So really, at the very end, it had to do with the love of the flesh. And that's true in our lives. It's usually the love of my flesh that will make me spiritually undiscerning. When I'm thinking of myself first and how I'm going to please this, I'm not going to see what God wants me to do. I'm not going to have that kind of, of eyesight. And, and that was, as we said, the beginning of troubles here. As, as we look at this, it's... The kind of need we have, the part of the different parts of the family, you have the father, in this case undiscerning, and you have a mother and you have the children, and we could look at each of them and try to apply it to ourselves depending where you are today. I'm, I'm a father, and so to some extent I tend to look at what Esau is doing here as the example I should be following or avoiding. Isaac, sorry, Isaac, right. Isaac's the father, I'm a father. I'm also a son, but... My particular place I am in my life right now, the fact I'm a father is more important. And uh, it's something I need to watch out for. You know, if I live my life for myself, am I going to discern the spiritual state of my family? Am I going to be guiding them in the right direction? Am I going to be getting sons like Esau, who in many ways was like his father? He was also for pleasing his flesh. Isaac, fortunately, has reached the point where he was saved. But uh, in the case of Esau, it's not clear he ever was. He was lost, but probably a lot because of Isaac and Isaac's lack of discernment. I'm confusing names again. People are looking at me. All right. Uh, we'll move on to the next person, Rebecca. We'll start in verse 5. Now, Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt game and to bring it. So Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me game. 
and make savory food for me that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me from there two choice kids of the goats and I will make savory food from them for your father, such as he loves. Then you shall take it to your father that he may eat it and that he may bless you before his death. And Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Look, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man and I am a smooth-skinned man. Perhaps my father will fill me and I shall seem to be a deceiver to him, and I shall bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. But his mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go, get them for me. And he went and got them and brought them to his mother. And his mother made savory food, such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the choice clothes of her elder son, Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son, and she put the skins of the kids of the goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. Then she gave the savory food and the bread which she prepared into the hand of her son, Jacob. It really amazed me as I was studying this in preparation to preaching what of how strong of a hand Rebecca had in all this. She really is the one, first of all, she hears what's about to happen. She decides all on her own that that's the wrong thing. She conceives of a plan of how to fix it. She convinces Jacob against, you know, his better judgment that he, that he should be doing this. And she works all the details, you know, prepares, puts the food in his hand, clothes him with Esau's clothes, puts, you know, hairy things on his hand. Uh, she does. She's the one that's really behind it. Jacob follows her and he's guilty for what he has done. But Rebecca is really the instigator, the main worker of the scheme that's unfolding here. Now, we, we said before that Rebecca probably recognized spiritually that what Isaac was doing was wrong, that him about to bless Esau was going to be a disaster for the family and felt that she should intervene. Okay? Well, the problem is, is the thinking that she needed to intervene. Really, what she should have done is what she did in the past, is trust in the Lord. God promised that they're going to become a nation out of Jacob, and that will be the nation that will follow God. God will make it happen. You know, it seems like a disaster is looming, but if God, especially if God promised it, you know it's going to be done the right way. You step back and watch the salvation of the Lord. That's what you needed to see to do at this point. Okay, not scheme and find some ways of changing what was happening. Let me say this. It is not because of what Rebecca and Jacob did here that Jacob ended up being the nation chosen by God. Okay? It's, in fact, it was obvious because God already said it before this. But, you know, what they did didn't really help. It, it got themselves in hot water. But it didn't in any way result in Jacob being more blessed or the family being more... In fact, this is the event that probably destroyed the family more than anything else. Exactly what they were trying to save, they were helping destroy by, by what they did over here. Uh, it reminds me of... A uh, friend of ours, Sharon and mine, some other people might know her, so I'm not going to mention her by name. But uh, we have a friend uh, who is, unfortunately, she's a lady, unfortunately is, is the most spiritual in the family. Not unfortunately that she's, not most, that she's spiritual, but it would be better if her husband was more spiritual. Uh, and, and she really wanted to have a, a family Bible time. But she felt it wasn't her place 
you know, to tell her husband and maybe nag her husband into doing this. And so she just brought it before the Lord, and she started praying. And shortly, you know, I don't know how many days or weeks, her husband comes back from work and says, you know what I really want to do is I want us to start having family Bible times together. And she just looked to the Lord. She, she, she realized it wasn't her place. The Bible says that women are not to win their husband by words. It's by their, their godly behavior that they're supposed to win their husband. And in this case, turning to the Lord, and the Lord did exactly what she asked him to. He changed the heart of her husband. And in this case, Rebecca could have done that. She could have gone to the Lord, and the Lord could have changed Isaac's heart and made him realize that what he was doing was wrong. It says, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord to turn it this way or that way. So the Lord could have changed Isaac's mind. He could have, in the intervening time, and he, the Lord could have used as much time as he wanted to by stopping Esau from finding anything in the field. He could have changed Isaac's heart. That would have been a proper response by Rebecca, not the one that she chose. Okay, 18, verse 18. So he went to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me. Please arise, sit and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord your God brought it to me. Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near, that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac his father, and he felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy, like his brother Esau's hand. So he blessed him. Then he said, Are you really my son, Esau? And he said, I am. He said, Bring it near to me, and I will eat of my son's game, so that my soul may bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him. And he smelled the smell of his clothing and blessed him and said, Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Therefore, may God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be those who bless you. All right, this, this was, if you would, uh, the part that everybody remembers. Jacob goes in. He pretends to be his brother. He, the, the scheme works. He gets the blessing. Now, uh, we, could, we could talk about Jacob's sin in a number of ways here. Uh, perhaps the most obvious one is that he's lying through his teeth through the whole passage. He even takes the Lord's name in vain, which is, you know, you kind of wonder why he even had to do that. But... Uh, uh, obviously, part of his sin is shared with the one he shared with Rebecca, not trusting the Lord. The Lord could have fixed the situation. He didn't need to intervene. Um, sin leads to more sin by, by going in, in a deceit. He really sets himself up. You know? At which point was he going to turn and stop sinning? You know, it, once you're in, you're in for it. You don't know how deep you're going to go. And he just goes very deep. And it really shows 
the person Jacob is, uh, unfortunately by nature, he, he, is, he is the chosen son, don't get me wrong, and we're going to spend another three weeks on him. But you'll see where he started. This is where he started. He didn't trust God. He was trying to do things on his own. He was willing to sin to do it. And God had a long way to bring him. But we'll see. God did. Took him, took him basically all of Jacob's life. But he brought, brought Jacob through. Uh, one of the things that stands here most as a fault that Jacob did, which isn't perhaps common, but that's, it should be noticed, is really that of recognizing the wrong authority. Jacob should have stopped. You know, he, he had, perhaps, perhaps he gave the wrong reason to his mother why he shouldn't do this. Instead of saying, well, it's wrong, he says, what if he'll catch me? But he should have stopped. He should have, he should have resisted her authority in this case. It's not often. It says, children, honor your father and mother in the Lord. You should obey your father and mother, but it is to the extent that they are, you know, not contradicting the Lord himself. In this case, she was telling him to do something that was wrong. It's one of the few cases that you should disobey authority. I, I think one of the other classic cases is when the Jewish authorities told Peter and the other apostles, you know, stop preaching in this man's name, this man's name, referring to Jesus, stop preaching in Jesus' name. And they said, well, you decide if it's more right to obey you or to obey God. And later on they say, it's more right to obey God. So there are times in which authority and the will of God conflict. And those are times we should side with the will of God. And that would have been the right thing for Jacob Jacob to do. All right, let's finish it up, picking up in verse 30. Now it happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from the hunting. He also had made savory food and brought it to his father, and said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that your soul may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, Who are you? So he said, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, Who, where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came, and I have blessed him. And indeed he shall be blessed. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright and now look, he has taken away my blessing. And he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? And Isaac answered and said to Esau, Indeed, I have made him your master, and all his brethren I have given to him as servants. With grain and wine I have sustained him. What shall I do now for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, Have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me, me also, O oh my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac his father answered and said to him, Behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. And it shall come to pass when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck. So this is the sad end of the story. It is Obviously, Esau is devastated by what has happened. And certainly, Isaac also feels betrayed by, by what was discovered. It's interesting here 
that uh, Isa in particularly is blaking, blaming Jacob or Jacob's misdoing for his suffering. It's important to note that the Bible does not lay the fault of what happened at Jacob's feet. At least the fault of Esau's loss. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 17. We're actually going to be completing a verse that we started reading before. It said Hebrews chapter 12, verse 17. For you know afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. So here it says the reason Esau was rejected, the reason Esau did not receive the blessing, is because he found no place for repentance. Repentance of what? Well, repentance of what happened before. Before, when he could have had the blessing, he was the chief son, he should have been expecting the blessing of God. He said, ah, I'd rather have a bowl of soup. He hasn't repented. He wanted the blessing now, but he wasn't willing to say that it was better than what the world had to offer him. Remember, Esau is the one who's been going out into the world, and he was interested in the things that he was finding. And he wanted whatever his father had to give him. Like, are you going to give me a blessing? Great, I'll take it. And a lot of people are like that today. Well, you have something good for me. You want to pray for me. God has some blessing for me. I'll take them. Don't ask me to let go of all these things. And that's what it means when it says he found no place for repentance. Esau was still trying to hold on to all these things. Jesus addressed this saying this. He said, uh, no man can serve two masters. For either he will love one and hate the other or despise one and hold on to the other. And following with this, you cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon standing for unrighteous gain, for the riches of this world. And Jesus says you can't serve both. If you try to have what the world has to offer, you're trying to have what God has to offer you, you're going to end up choosing one or the other. It's not possible to really desire both. Our hands are not big enough. Okay? You have to either cleave to God, or if you're trying to cleave to this, it means you've let go of God. And that was the problem with Esau. Esau wasn't willing to let go of the world, and that's why he didn't receive the blessing. It wasn't, I shouldn't say, Jacob certainly did wrong things. <clears throat> but it wasn't because of that that Esau didn't get the blessing. And uh, this world loves going into, uh, what did they call it? I guess when, when uh, people grow up and they misbehave, they call it uh, environmental influence. They have some better word for it. But basically what they're saying, look, it's not the kid's fault. It's the environment he grew up with. It's all these other people that spoiled him. And I, I, I sincerely believe this. Nobody can take the greatest blessing that God has for you except you yourself. God, God will, not, not, will not stop from blessing you because some person has hurt you. Even though people could do terrible things for you in this life, people have been martyred, killed for the Lord. They didn't miss God's blessing for them. For us to think that it's because this person is doing this or that person is doing that, that's not why I'm receiving the full blessing is incorrect. It's all between you and God. God has all the blessings of heaven ready to pull down on you. The only thing that's going to stop you from being blessed is yourself, whether you're willing to receive what the Lord has for you. 
And that was the case with Esau. Esau wasn't ready for what God had for him. He wanted to have what the world had for him. All right. Uh, somewhat depressing scene, but uh, there's a couple of encouragement here that I, I like to take from the passage. One is the fact that Esau did have an opportunity to repent. He did have an opportunity to repent. The reason he missed the blessing wasn't because he had the first time said no and, and preferred the bowl of soup over the blessing of the inheritance. It was because he refused to repent. The Bible says this, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You might have said no to the Lord at some point. You may have had the gospel preached to you. You may have understood what God was offering, and you said no. Well, the good news is you can repent of that. <laughs> you can change. You can realize, boy, I, I made the stupidest mistake in my life. I should have taken what the Lord was offering me. Well, if you're here today, you still can. You can, you can forsake the world and come to Jesus. That's still, that the road is still open to you. The other, the other encouragement I take here is actually found in Hebrews 11.20. I'll just read it. It says this. In the whole of faith, there were words about Isaac too. It said this. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. And we looked at Isaac here as a counterexample mostly. But at the end, there was faith. If you think about it, Isaac could have stopped and said, wait a second, I was the wrong guy. Yeah, forget what I said before, I'm going to bless you now, Esau. But he realized that he made a mistake at that point. It's interesting, if you look closely at the words in the passage, it, when, when he realized what happened, it says this, then Isaac trembled exceedingly. And I think this, I truly believe that when Isaac blessed Jacob, he sensed he was doing the right thing. It was as if the Holy Spirit was speaking through him. And he knew he was blessing with the approval of God. And then when later he realized it was Jacob and not Esau, he didn't take it back. You know, he says, you know, I have blessed him and he will be blessed. It's like it hit, them, it hit him here. You know, he realized what really had happened. And later when Esau seeks for a blessing, you know, again, he doesn't give Esau the blessing of, of being... Uh, the ruler of the family, he gives him, if you would, a lesser blessing. Well, you know, I'll give you, I'll give you something. But it's at the very end, Isaac came to his right mind. And that's encouragement for me as a father that has made many mistakes. Uh, you know, God will, God will give us opportunities or God always, the door is always open to turn around, forsake the flesh and be discerning of the will of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your love, the example that we find here, though we see people that perhaps struggle with their faith. We know, Lord, we have the same weaknesses in our flesh and have the same tendencies in us. Help us, Lord, take the lessons that you've applied to our hearts in this study and uh, walk in them and, and let them uh, rule over our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.